So we celebrate Go Missions Month here in November. And last week, um, Ryan talked about world missions. He talked a little bit about what he does as the president of Sin Relief and what we do worldwide through that Sin Relief organization. And today we're going to talk about national missions. So we highlight church planners, uh, men and women who have said, God, we will follow you to remote places, isolated places, places where the gospel is not readily believed or accepted. And we will go there and plan our family and plan a church. And so in a lot of these cases, if you go out to the missions wall on the way out today, you'll see a lot of different church plants over the last 15 years or so that we've been involved in helping to plant by sending them financial resources, uh, by going and supporting them and encouraging them, by sending them cards like you've been encouraged to do today as you got that packet as you came in this morning. There's a a card in there for you to uh, write them a note of encouragement. Not while I'm preaching necessarily, but later maybe. You can do it while I'm preaching, I don't care. But drop that off today as you leave, tear this portion off and um, keep this as a prayer reminder. And I would encourage you, those of your parents especially, to get your kids involved praying for our church planners because it's a great opportunity to even expose them to missions. You know, we, we want to encourage our church planners in a lot of different ways. And one of the things that all these church planners that we highlight this morning have in common is they're all planning churches in North America. And so this morning we want to focus on our country. We want to focus on national missions, what's happening in our country in terms of nationally. And I know that you guys have been preoccupied with what's going on in our nation. You couldn't help but be preoccupied in the last months, really. But even this week with the election and now the recount and all the things that are going on with that, we need to pray people of God. We need to pray for our country like Tim just did, that God will be victorious, that the truth will be victorious for everything that happens after this. It's very critical. So please be praying. But let me just tell you this, regardless of who is in the White House, America is a mission field that's ripe unto harvest. It is. Somebody clapped on that. It really is true. It really is true. We live in a country that if you go back to the 2010 census, 20 years ago, between 2000 and 2010, I think I said that wrong, 2000 census, between 2000 and 2010, what the 2010 census showed us is that there is no county in America, listen to this, no county in America with a greater church population in 2010 than there was in 2000. That means that over those 10 years, less people in every county in our country are attending church. So I don't know what the census we just participated in is going to show us, but I have a feeling that what it's going to tell us is that, yeah, we are living in a mission field, a place that, yeah, there's a lot of churches and there's a lot of people who identify as Christian, but there's a lot of people who don't yet know the Lord. And so this morning, what I want us to do is go to God's word and particularly in the first chapter of Acts, because in the first chapter of Acts, first few verses, Jesus says he gives his disciples, his followers, those who name him as their savior and Lord. He gives them instruction right before he left to go back to heaven. And so I don't know about you, but if I could sit down across from Jesus up here this morning and Jesus would tell me anything, this is what he would tell me. This is what he would tell you. Do you want to know what that is? Would you want to know what his last minute instructions are to you as his follower leaving you on this earth? Yeah, you would. And so it's not a mystery. He's made it known to us. So if you want to stand this morning out of reverence for God's word, I'm going to read Acts 1. 1 through 3 and verses 6 through 8 that will be on the screen if you don't have a copy of God's Word, but I'll read it aloud to us. And this is what Luke writes in Acts 1. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. 
There's that word instruction. And after he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You can have a seat this morning. So what we have in this last instruction from Jesus is really our marching orders. He tells us really some simple things that we can do. And this morning, I hope that you can make three simple discoveries before we leave in just a few minutes. Three discoveries that every disciple of Jesus really ought to make. And the first one is this. He shares with us the source of power. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So every person who gives their life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live in them. The Spirit of God comes to live inside of them. Can you even wrap your mind around that? That's a truth. And, and so here's what's happening. His disciples come to him and they've seen his power. They've seen Jesus' power. They've seen him take people who have never, ever seen before and heal their eyes where they can see. He's seen people, he's seen him touch, Jesus touch people who've never walked before and they get up and walk off. He's seen Jesus raise a man from the dead. They've seen Jesus brought back to life from the dead. So they know what any of us would know who were with him. His power is not like anybody else's power. If he's able to conquer death, he can conquer anybody else. And so this is what their question is. Okay, Jesus, you've got all this power. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to take over the world? Are you going to set up a kingdom in Jerusalem where you are the king of the world? Because who can conquer you? <laughs> you have the power. Are you going to take over Rome? Are you going to conquer Caesar? Are you going to set up an earthly kingdom and we're going to get to be your like right-hand men in this kingdom, right? They ask him that question at one point. And Jesus says something really, really important and especially applicable to us right now in the midst of what we're going through as a nation with this election mess that we're in. He says, don't co-opt my power for political purposes. Could he have taken over the world? Yes. Is there anybody who could have defeated him if he'd wanted to defeat them? No. Is there any military power that could overtake him? No, read Revelation. <laughs> it's gonna happen one day. No, he could conquer anybody. His power is unlimited, but he says, it's not for you to know what's gonna happen with Israel and all that. You, the power that I give you is for you specifically. It's personal and spiritual. Primarily the purpose that I give you power is so that you can reach other people for me. So that's interesting because so many times we do know that politics has consequences. People who get elected, and that's what we're kind of all stressing about right now, is who's going to wind up in the White House and what are they going to do? Are they going to do the things they threaten to do and promise to do? And what's going to happen to our country? Is it going to change dramatically? And that's a question that every church planner wakes up and asks himself almost every morning. God, how are you going to use me and my family and this church that we're planning to change this city that we live in? I mean, how does the city change? How does a state change? How does a nation change? The power of the Holy Spirit is the only way that real change ever comes. And those of us who have Jesus in our lives have the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus says. But I think that so many times in America, we're suffering from what I would call the plague of powerless Christianity. A lot of people claim to be Christians and even are, I guess, put their faith in Jesus Christ. They're a Christian. 
but they don't know anything about God's power in their life. And I'm not talking about the weird stuff where people do all kinds of crazy things and we all, oh, I don't want that. No, look at what, read your Bible, read the book of Acts and you'll see what the power of the Holy Spirit empowered the first disciples to do. What did they do? They shared their faith. They led people to Jesus Christ. They started churches. They did amazing things. Sometimes they did miracles. God's not limited by time and space. He can still work miracles. He's not limited. So we see that the power of the Holy Spirit affects people's lives. So how do you change a culture? You change it through the power of the Holy Spirit living through you. You know, Brian talked about last week this concept of nuns in our culture, not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. People who say increasingly over the last few years, I have no religious affiliation. I have no spiritual beliefs. I have no religion, none. I don't affiliate with anything like that, so I'm a nun. And that number of people he showed us last week over the last 10 years is increasing. And that matches up with exactly what I said about counties in our country that no county is more church than it used to be. So, so what happens when you confront people who have no beliefs with a powerless Christianity? They yawn. There's nothing compelling about that. There's nothing attractional about that. They go, yeah, you're religious. Yeah. That's what powerless Christianity looks like, religion. I go to a building for an hour and a half every week and I go home basically the same as I came in. Vance Haven used to say you start church at 11 a.m. sharp and you leave at 12 p.m. dull. <laughs> Nobody laughed. What? What's the deal with that? The reality is we live a powerless Christianity. What does that look like? Why are we powerless? Because we don't submit to the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, we have the power. Let me tell you a story from my own life. When I was brand new getting married, Brand new newlywed. My wife and I were living in Brownwood, Texas. I had a semester left in college and we had one really sorry little vehicle that we drove around and it barely stayed together. We wired it together, it stayed together, but I needed a second vehicle. And so we had two jobs, I was going to school. and we, So I tried to find the cheapest vehicle I could. So I'm working one day, I'm looking at the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, living in Brownwood, Texas, and I see a truck advertised in Weatherford, Texas for $400. And I'm like, probably not gonna find a cheaper vehicle than that anywhere. And it's a 1953 Ford pickup. And I was pretty stoked about it because I was like, she might let me buy this, you know. And uh, I don't really remember where we got $400. I guess we, you know, banned corn dogs for two months or something. I have no idea. I don't know where we got the money. Somebody must have given it to us because we didn't have any money. And my friend and I borrowed another guy's truck and drove from Brownwood to Weatherford. Two and a half hours, got up there to this pecan orchard. And here's this truck seafoam green and somebody has painted it black with a paintbrush. I'd never seen a vehicle painted with a paintbrush before that point in my life. You know, it's like new experience. And the guy says, now it's a little rough, but it's only $400, you know? And he said, it will run, but it needs a wiring harness. The wiring's all eaten up with squirrels or rats or whatever. And so he said, I can jump you off. So he uh, pulls me to start it and then he unhooks the chain and I drive it around. It's like sold, you know? My wife's gonna kill me when I bring this thing home, but I am sold. So me and my crazy friend drag that thing, pull it all the way back to Brownwood, down the interstate, brainless. We get back to Brownwood and uh, nothing fell off in the process. We go to this mechanic shop and I said, look, guy said it needs a wiring harness. I just drove it so I know it runs. What would it cost me to get a wiring harness? And he said, probably looking at $300. I said, I only paid $400 for the vehicle. He goes, well, it's a lot of work to wire a vehicle and you gotta buy the harness, blah, blah. So we drug it over to married student housing where we lived and I parked it. And I thought, I'm gonna have to wire this thing myself. I've never wired anything in my life. So I order a wiring harness from J.C. Whitney. It comes from Brazil, it's in Portuguese. 
and it's color coded, but it's not much help. So I start going to local auto parts stores. There's only about five of them in Brownwood and finding the oldest guy behind the counter and going, Hey, you could probably help me with this. I'm trying to rewire a 1953 Ford pickup. I have no idea what I'm doing. And could you kind of look at this? He goes, it's, it's in a foreign language. I was like, I know, but you know about vehicles. And he's like, well, I can't really help you with that. So so over the next, I bought that truck in February and it's the end of April and it's still not running. It's sitting in the parking lot at school and it looks horrible. And so I've called every auto parts store and disguised my voice and said, yeah, I'm working on a truck with a wire. And he says, you're the guy with the 53 Ford truck, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, but help me. I can't get it running. I've done everything. I've got a brand new battery. The lights work, the horn works, but it won't turn the motor over. So this guy in school, I'm telling this friend of mine about it, he goes, there's a guy that works for the university. Just go down the street and go down to this warehouse. He, he works on all the school's vehicles. His name's George. He probably could help you. So I made a beeline down there. George, I got this problem. He goes, yeah, I'll come by after work tonight. So he comes by. He goes, get in the truck. And all I want you to do is just bump it. I don't want you to stay on the ignition. Just bump it just for a second. And it turns over. And I go running around the truck because I can't see what he's doing because the hood's up. And I go, George, what'd you do? He goes, you got this little ceramic resistor on the firewall. And he said, I just bypassed it. It's just bad. It'll cost you $2. Just go to the auto parts store. And I was like, no, don't make me go back to the auto parts store. <laughs> really? I went $2, bought a resistor, came back, put it on, hooked it up, drove my truck for two hours. I mean, it ran. Now here's the deal. I tell you that silly story because I had power. I had a battery that was fully charged and able to power everything on that vehicle. But what I didn't have was a connection to that battery. I had an interruption in power. We talked about in the Entangle series a while back that when you are entangled in sin, you have some sin in your life that you have not confessed to the Lord that you're living with, that it does several things. It interrupts your communication, it disrupts your growth, and it corrupts your influence. And that's true of every person who has sin in their life. Those three things are true for every single person. Well, that's what happened with my truck. I had power but the power was interrupted. And the reason we have powerless Christianity is because we have Christians who are unwilling to submit to the Holy Spirit in their life. You're not intended to live the Christian life in your own power. That's what we have. That's why it makes very little difference in the culture. But on the other hand, if we were submitting to the only source of power that God ever intended to power our lives, the Holy Spirit, we would be seeing different things happen in our culture. Those nuns might be changing. Jesus said this, he said in Luke 24, you are witnesses of these things. And look, I'm sending you what I promised, what the father promised, the Holy Spirit. As you stay, I'm sorry, as for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. You see, the Holy Spirit, when he powers your life, he will lead your life. He will prompt you to speak to people. He will prompt you to give. He will prompt you to pray. He will prompt you to help other people spiritually. You just have to be listening and willing to submit. And that's where the problem is. For a lot of us, we're just unwilling. We like our version of Christianity, powerless Christianity. But all you have to do is look at our world and know that the reason the world's the way it is is because the Christians that are living in the world don't have any power to affect it. We have power, but we're not connected to it. There's something interrupting the power of God in our lives. And so, you know, what I love to see is I love to see when somebody gets serious about following the Lord, maybe somebody who otherwise would be known as an introvert, very shy, very quiet, and then they start submitting, excuse me, submitting to the Holy Spirit in their life and they become like bold as a lion. They become the person God intended for them to be, the person they didn't even know they could be. 
because the Holy Spirit empowers their life. He changes them and uses them to do amazing things. If your kids were to come to you, if you're a parent and your kids were to come to you today and say, what powers your life, mom? What powers your life, dad? What's your source of power? Would you say self-determination, persistence, self-discipline? Those are all good things. That's not what Jesus said, powers our life. You receive power when the Holy Spirit's come on you. And then you'll do the next thing. You'll be my witness. And so, so that's the source of power. The second thing I want you to see is just what I said, the simple, what I'll call the simple part. I need it simple, don't you? And Jesus gives it to us in a very simple form. He says, here's the simple part. You'll be my witnesses. Don't you love witnessing? No, you don't. I know you don't. I know you don't, because we have events where we go out and witness, and they're the least attended events that we ever have at this church. There's no lights, there's no music and smoke, there's none of that stuff. We're just going to go out and tell people about Jesus. We're going to witness about Jesus. No, I got something else to do. There's no more greater evidence of a powerless Christianity than a Christianity that's unwilling to witness for Jesus Christ. It's the truth. Jesus said, I'll give you power, and then you'll be my witnesses. Witnessing is not that complicated. Do you remember the first time you ever witnessed for Jesus? Maybe you've never witnessed for Jesus, but those of you who have, do you remember the first time you did it? I tell this story because it's so vivid in my mind, the first time the Holy Spirit ever spoke to me and told me to witness to somebody. Um, and I share that every time I do the Discover Membership course, which by the way, I'm teaching next Sunday. If you've been considering membership at Moberly, next Sunday in the choir suite from 9.15 to noon, I'm gonna teach the course. It doesn't mean you're gonna become a member, but it's a requirement for membership because it's gonna help you understand who we are. And then you can make a better decision about whether the Lord's leading you here to be a member. So that's a free advertisement today. But I always share this story because one of the things I talk about in the membership course is sharing your faith. And um, it's not what the whole course is about, but it's part of it. So. I had been saved probably a few months or maybe almost a year and I was leaving church on a Wednesday night and I was headed home in my truck and I had resurrection band cranked up on my Pioneer Super Tuner and I was jamming out for the Lord and I was driving down the road and the last bit of civilization before you hit the country where I lived was a store called Odom's Store. And there was a Camaro parked in front of Odom's Store and I knew that Camaro belonged to a kid named Kevin who I had grown up with. We weren't great friends, but we knew each other. We'd ridden the bus together in elementary and junior high. And so I knew Kevin was working and I just put my eyes back on the road and I'm just cruising down the road, headed home and the Holy Spirit goes, hey, stop and turn around and go tell Kevin about me. And I was like, what? Oh no, 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 no. Turn the music off and now I'm just arguing. No, not doing that. There's no way I'm doing that. I don't even know how to do that. And I just keep driving. I drive all the way to my street, drive up my street, drive up my driveway, park my truck, and I'm just, I am arguing with the God of the universe who made oceans and mountains and galaxies. I, me, am arguing with him. I'm not doing it. I don't know what to say. I'm scared to death. He said, just go do that. <sighs> Start the truck up, put it in reverse, back out, go down the driveway, and now my heart is just like, I'm going to have a heart attack before I get there, God. I'm going to die before I get there. So I'm, I get closer to the store and I'm like, what am I doing? I've never done this. I've never been trained. I don't even know what to tell somebody. Just go tell him about me. Okay. So I, I said, God, if there's any vehicle in that parking lot besides his, I'm not stopping. There wasn't. So I went around the block once just to make sure. <laughs> And I pulled in and I walk in and Kevin's reading the newspaper. It's about nine o'clock at night, store's gonna close in an hour. And he's reading the newspaper and he looks up and says, hey man, I said, hey. I thought, now what? Uh, I better go buy something. So I walked to the back of the store, get a Coke, take it up there, put it on the counter. I still don't know what I'm gonna say. 
come this far, put it on the counter. I pay him. He, whatever. I said, look, I said, look, you're going to think this is the craziest thing anybody's ever told you, but I'm driving down the road tonight. I actually said these words and God told me (laughs) to turn around and come back in here and ask you this question. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Is that weird? He goes, you want to hear something weird? What's weird is two weeks ago, another guy came in here and asked me a similar question. And then he gave me a Bible. And I've been reading that Bible every night before I go to bed. And I have no idea what it's about. Can you help me with that? Does God know what God's doing? Yeah, he does. He did all this. He knows what he's doing, right? It's the problem's not information. The problem is power, right? Just to be a witness is to open your mouth and ask a simple question and realize God was there before you got there. He was already working before you got there. Now, I got to talk to Kevin for almost an hour that night and tell him what the Bible was about, share the gospel with him. He didn't receive Christ that night. But I left there as high as a kite, man. (laughs) Because I was like, God used me. I can't believe that. That's happened over and over in my life. Why do I tell you that? Because that's all you have to do to be a witness. It is simple, not complicated. We complicate it, but it's really not that hard. Have you ever, ever been called upon to be a witness like in a trial or a courtroom? Um, my parents' house got broken into and uh, I actually drove up on the people that were robbing her house, my, my mom and dad's house, their house. I pulled in the driveway, they were backed in her driveway, I mean their garage, and I, as I pull up, a guy's coming down her steps with my mom's microwave and he just chunks it on the floor of the garage and he tries to get in the back door of the car as his, as his partner in crime is trying to leave. He manages to get in. Well, I'm parked in the driveway and they're coming right towards me. And so I back up in the street and I'm thinking they'll turn and go that way, right? No, turn and came toward me. So now I'm backing up, they're coming towards me. I'm backing up, they're coming towards me and I'm thinking I can't keep doing this. So I just ditch it. I just put the truck in the ditch and I hit the floorboard because I'm thinking I'm about to get shot because they know I can identify them, right? I don't know what kind of criminals these guys are. So I just hit the floorboard of the truck and I hear their car drive by and I popped up, looked in the rearview mirror, got their license number. So about six months later, I got a call saying, hey, we need you to come down to Smith County Courthouse because we got this guy, we caught him and we need you to testify. And I was like, oh yeah, I'd be happy to come testify because that guy not only stole the microwave and messed up my parents' house, he stole my wedding ring, which was on my parents' kitchen table. So I'm a little miffed. So I was like, yeah, glad to come testify. So I get down there. And I sit in the hallway of the courtroom. District attorney comes out after about two hours and he goes, well, Mr. Coleman, we won't need you to testify. He said, the the fact that you're here this morning caused the defendant to plead guilty and he's going to state penitentiary. I was like, I don't get to testify? Are you kidding? But I wanted to look at him and go, yes, your honor, it was him, you know, because I saw him. I was a witness. So what does a witness have to do? Think about these basic, simple three things. A witness has to be present when something happens, right? Yeah. You have to be present when something happens. The second thing is you have to observe what happens. That's pretty basic. And the third thing is very simple. You just recall what happened. That's all you have to do to be a witness. It's simple. And for those of us who follow Jesus Christ, we were there when something happened. When, Jesus, when you trusted Jesus and he came into your life, you were there when it happened. You remember it, right? You observed it. You experienced it. So now all you have to do is recall that to people that God leads you to recall it to, to be a witness for Jesus Christ. You know, the whole book of Acts is predicated on the fact that the apostles and disciples and the first followers of Jesus witnessed about the resurrection of Jesus. 
Because you need witnesses to verify facts, especially if something is, it seems unbelievable, like the resurrection, like a miracle. So you need people who can witness to that. The reason people don't care about Jesus in our culture is they never hear any of us talk about him, ever. We just assume they're gonna look at our lives and go, your life's so awesome. Can I be just like you? Has that happened in your life? It doesn't ever happen. They go, that's a moral person. That's a good person. That's a church person. They don't ever say, that's a person who's full of the Holy Spirit of God. Because we're not. We won't do the simplest thing, like open our mouth and witness. We think it's too complicated. I had an experience several years ago when I was the youth minister here. We used to go to Wyoming every year, Sheridan, Wyoming, and we took kids up there and we would hit that town of 10,000 people with 60 high school kids and six white vans and do all kinds of ministry stuff. And the second year we went, I thought, you know, there's this amphitheater in the middle of the town. It's this park that everybody hangs out at. And so my idea was to, to bring a Christian band in, do a concert in that park, and then attract kids, share the gospel with them. So I contracted with the band Switchfoot. Some of you have heard of the band Switchfoot. This was 1999, so it was a long time ago. They'd been a band for about two or three years. Brought them in, talked to John, John Foreman, his brother Tim. They founded the band. They're sons of uh, uh, the pastor of San Diego Calvary Chapel Church there. So they were raised in a home where they knew the Lord. And I mean, they're a Christian band and unique sound and all those kind of things. And so I pulled John aside before the concert. and said, John, the reason we paid the money to bring you guys in here, he goes, yeah, we've never been to Wyoming before. I was like, yeah, the reason we brought you here is because we want you to share the gospel. And at the end of your set, when you get through singing, I want you to tell everybody in that amphitheater how they can be saved. Can you do that? I said, because John, you're the cool guy. You got the guitar, you have the influence. You're the one everybody's gonna listen to. Yeah, I can do that. Oh, okay, great. Prayed with him. They do their concert. I'm at the back of the thing, sitting in the grass back there. John gets done with his last song, and he says, well, guys, it was awesome to be with y'all tonight. We were just a group of guys that loves God. I hope you love God, too. Have a great night. Walks off the stage. I'm back there going, no! That's not the gospel? What did you just do? I take off running up there, grab the microphone, share the gospel. Then I go back and find John. I'm like, John, what was that? You know what he said? I don't know how to share the gospel, it's too complicated. I don't know how to break it down into just two or three minutes, it's just too complicated, theologically. I said, yes, there are things about the gospel theologically that are, that are seriously complicated, but you can share it with somebody in one or two minutes. And in fact, at the end of the service, just a few minutes, I'm gonna share it with you guys and those of you who are watching online. It can be done. And I said, John, here's the deal. You need to figure out how to do this because you're gonna be on a lot bigger stages than the one we're on right now in the days ahead. And he has been. Because the reality is sometimes we say, well, how would I even start? How would I even start having a conversation with somebody about Jesus? You could ask them the question that I asked that kid in the convenience store all those years ago. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Yes or no? It's not that hard. And you know, well, they're gonna ask me a question that I don't know the answer to. And you can say, I don't know the answer to that question. But I know Jesus and he knows the answers to every question. So I'll try to get you an answer and if you really wanna know the answer, I can meet you back up later and we can talk about it. Cool? But no, I don't know all the answers because I'm limited, right? Why does that keep us from telling anybody about Jesus? You see, we have a simple part. It's just to open our mouth and talk about what Christ has done in our lives. So don't overcomplicate, it's not that complicated to do. So there's a source of power, it's the Holy Spirit. There's our simple part, which is just being a witness. And the last thing I wanna say as I close today is there's a strategic plan. 
He says, you're going to start in Jerusalem, you're going to go to Judea, and you're going to go to Samaria, and then ultimately you're going to go to the rest of the world. And that's powerful because Jerusalem is where everything happened. Jerusalem is where Jesus was crucified. It's where he rose from the dead. It's where Peter preached in Acts 2 on the southern steps of the temple, and thousands of people gave their life to Jesus Christ. And then ultimately persecution came and they got scattered. They left Jerusalem and everywhere they went, they took the gospel with them. That was God's plan too, to spread the gospel throughout the world. So when you think about Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, it's not just geographic because as Brian talked about just a few weeks ago when he preached on the woman at the well in John 4, there's cultural stuff going on there. Jewish people didn't like Samaritan people. They, they saw Samaritan people as compromised, you know. They weren't truly Jewish. They were Jewish and they had a little bit of this other stuff, a little bit of this stuff, and they just didn't like them. They avoided them. They were unclean. And Jesus says, no, every single person in Jerusalem, in Judea, and even in Samaria, and everywhere else in the world, every single person has supreme value to me. I care about every human being, regardless, regardless of where they live, regardless of what they look like, regardless of how they dress, regardless of what color their hair is, or what tattoos they have, or what piercings they have, or what music they listen to, or whatever. Every person has value. The gospel is for every single person. That's the gospel. That's the good news is that it's for everyone. And that's his plan. And so we think about what we've done even here in Longview, the blessing of being able to be a church that helps plant other churches. And you should go look at that wall out here sometime because it starts here for us in Longview. And there are a lot of other churches in our community who are seeking to share the Lord too. But it doesn't stay here. It goes out from here. And so there are ways that we can be involved in helping these church planners who are taking the gospel to places that the gospel is not readily available. We can pray for them, and we certainly should, and that's why you keep that portion of that card this morning, so you can begin to pray and get your kids involved praying for them. Because what you pray about, God softens your heart for. And he leads your life towards those things that you pray for consistently. You can pray, you can go. In a lot of years, not COVID years necessarily, but Non-COVID years, we would go on a lot of mission trips and send people out to go to these different church plants. Luke Penner there in uh, Phoenix area. We've got our high school group that's going spring break to be with him, Lord willing, if COVID doesn't keep them from doing that. Our high school kids want to go to Malawi this next summer like they've done so many times. Hopefully they'll be able to do that. We're planning on that, trusting the Lord to be able to go do those things. So yes, we go and we help and we participate. We pray, we can encourage, we can give. You know, if you, if you look at your resources and go, well, this is all mine. I'm going to give God this little bit over here. You're missing it. God gives us the power. He gives us the, uh, part of our part to do, and he gives us the plan. And part of the plan is we fund missions. I'll tell you a story about a lady named Ann. Ann lived in Baltimore, Maryland. And when she was 20 years of age, she walked into a church where a guy shared the gospel with her, which is what I'm about to do with those of you in the room and those of you who are watching online. And she heard the gospel, and she gave her life to Jesus Christ at the age of 20. And then she became very interested in missions. She became so, especially missions in the United States. And so she got very involved in helping missionaries and doing all kinds of great things. She got involved in Baltimore itself in that area, helping African-Americans, Chinese American immigrants. And she loved to help women, women, indigent women, women and orphans, uh, single moms. She got involved in doing all these wonderful things because Jesus got a hold of her heart and began to power her life. In one year, listen to this, in one year, Anne wrote a hundred and, I'm sorry, not a hundred, 18,000 letters to people who were serving on the mission field. I did the math on that. 
18,000 letters, if you write three a day, and you're awake 16 hours a day, you can do 18,365 days. That's a commitment. Just little old Anne gave her life to Jesus and Jesus started changing her life and using her to change the life of other people. She ultimately went on to found a mission organization called the Women's Missionary Union. You know who I'm talking about now if you're a Southern Baptist. You see, we call her Annie, Annie Armstrong. There used to be an offering that we took every Easter called the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering, and it was for missions in America, North America. And we still give to world missions, and we use that offering for state missions, we use it for national missions, and we use it for world missions. And so last week, Bryant mentioned this idea of giving Jesus a gift at Christmas. And so that's Christmas is coming, and you guys are all going to buy the people you love most some kind of gift for Christmas. So why leave Jesus out of that? You say, well, what can I get Jesus for Christmas? People. Because <laughs> that's what Jesus loves is people. That's what he cares about. So when you give to world missions, you are giving to help people come to know him as Savior. We have a goal of $100,000. Y'all, we can do that. It's not about the money. It's about saying, where's our heart? Because wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So I want to encourage you this morning to be praying about what you can give, what, what you can do to help with missions, because that's what the Lord has us on the planet to do is spread the gospel. So I said a minute ago that I was going to share the gospel. Some of you in this room have already trusted Jesus as your Savior. You know exactly what I'm talking about when I say the gospel. But the gospel literally means good news. So what's good about it? Well, you have to know the bad news before you know the good news. The bad news is that outside of Jesus Christ, you can't go to heaven. Outside of Jesus Christ, you can't have a relationship with God. You can be Muslim, Hindu. You can be Mormon. You can be Church of Christ. You can be all kinds of things. You can be a Baptist. That's not enough. The only way you can have a relationship with God, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father unless he comes through me. So if you disagree with that, you disagree with Jesus. And you can, but you'll be wrong. Because Jesus was right. Jesus said um, that he came to give life and life more abundant. And so this morning, I realize a bunch of you have already put your faith in Jesus Christ. But some of you haven't. So I'm going to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. Because I want you to pray for the people that are sitting around you and the people that are watching online who've never given their life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's very exclusive. That's what Jesus said. That's what we believe. That's what we teach. But the good news is you can put your trust in Jesus today. You can have eternal life. You can have all your sin forgiven. Your sin is the barrier between you and God, and he will come into your life and completely forgive you of every sin and give you a relationship with God that lasts forever in a place called heaven. And he will power the rest of your life by his Holy Spirit if you'll submit to him. So this morning, if you'd like to do that, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand. Nobody's looking around but me. Awesome. Want to give your life to Jesus this morning. Somebody raise their hand. Anybody else? And here's what I want to do. The Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So I'm going to lead you through a time of just calling on the name of the Lord, just doing exactly what the Bible says. So you can pray this. Just mean it in your heart because he knows your heart. Just say this to him right now. Dear God in heaven, I know that I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry for that. I don't want sin in my life in any way. <laughs> I'm sick of it. I reject it. I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. I want to have a relationship with you. Thank you for sending Jesus for me. Help me live in a way now that honors you. Power my life by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you. 
In Jesus' name, amen.